Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point, it is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Hello to everyone and welcome to this week's installment of Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Upambele and I'm always delighted to come through on your radio as I often have high-caliber guests that have extensive experiences and expertise in their respective field. And today is certainly not an exception. I'm hopeful that despite the cold weather, my conversation with my guest here, Mr. Tomateo Munyokulo, who is a newly appointed uh, chairperson at Warm Water, will increase our energy levels to cushion us, us against, in the main, what is somewhat dilapidating news about state of affairs in the public organizations. Before we get to the gist of my conversation uh, with Mr. Munyokulo, allow me to dispense with a few important issues. Firstly, thank you, Busuma Singer, uh, for helping to navigate the show. Uh, with finesse. Uh, secondly, I employ all the listeners of the show, as I do all the time, to share their views and insights and observation uh, through our media handles. Our SMS is, line is 34519. And of course, your views and thoughts are most welcome through my Twitter handles, which is at, at Dr. Mbele. You know, I think the conversation I had with Fred Kumalo, my Mutubati, as well as Prophet DJ last week was incredibly useful simply because they not only provided background on the state affairs in, in respect to the arts and culture fraternity, they also were able to give us a very good sense of, of solutions, um, which is quite useful in so many ways. They articulated government's shortcomings, especially in relation to the legacy of prominent artists such as Peter Makulube, who pioneered ventures such as Monday Blues, which had became almost a bedrock of a number of artists in the 80s and 90s. Uh, most of the artists that we've seen today, the likes of uh, Molarekwa, were baptized in the fires of Makulube's venture, uh, as it were. So I implore you to go back to that. Uh, if you, in case you've missed that particular conversation, go back to our website, which is www.highfm.com, retrieve it and let me know what you think, as I think it was a very fascinating conversation. And once again, our SMS line is 34549. Your views and thoughts are most welcome at my Twitter handle, uh, which is at Dr. Bader. Before venturing into my conversation with my guest here, you know, I pondered around the kind of perceived or alleged wave of malgovernance in, in our public universities. I'm sure we have all had all sorts of shenanigans at Watasisulu, uh, Fort Hare, University of Zululand, UCT, and now UNISA. I mean, these issues, in my mind at least, uh, brings into question the efficacy of the council and its subcommittees via various charters and the diligence of chairpersons of those particular committees. It also brings into question the risk framework uh, and the assurance system which are in place 
fundamentally, it also questioned the leadership structures and ethical conduct of some of the managers. The independent report commissioned by the, by the High Education Minister, Blinsmeyer, around Emisa, had found that the vice chancellor and the principal, Pulen Lengabula, was found wanting in so many areas. I mean, how is it possible that one procure SUV at the cost of two, two million rands? How is it possible that so much rot happens in that particular environment? There's also issues around the fact that she renovated her residence more than three million rands. That is just shocking at the face value. But again, if you take this thing at face value, you lose sight of internal control mechanisms. For an example, you know, one would want to hear or, or know what the delegation of authority is like so that before we could start shooting these individuals or painting a bad light and we might find out the delegation of authority, you know, permitted whether these sums are justifiable or not is another question. So it is important that we from time to time uh, are deeper in our analysis and, and refrain from take issue, taking issues at the face value because it's very difficult for people to redeem themselves once they have been painted negatively by the media operating in a particular space. And it's important for broadcasters and people who occupy this very powerful to really do their homework before they could start uh, venturing into all sorts of allegations. But be that is may also pick up from UNISA that there are issues the, you know, the vast chancellor, Puleng Lenkabula, had serious fractured relationship with the institution register, which is almost, it's difficult to operate entity of that magnitude if indeed allegations around fractured relationships were there. And it is also important that we, we understand the context of some of these issues. In the main, if the control environment in this, in this institution has been compromised, we've seen them in so many instances. It, this could be attributed, attributed to a wide range of issues. For an example, this could include the appointment of senior managers without requisite skills and competencies. We've seen it across the board in the public space for that matter. In academia, my biggest observation has always been that if you have been a seasoned academic, does it necessarily make you a practitioner? Does it necessarily make you a good administrator? The answer is no. And we have a lot of a lot of respect for colleagues in academia who um, are very good in what they do, specialists. But um, managing, coordinating, and and overseeing entities is a completely ball game. So what I've decided to do is to invite former pro, a former uh, deputy vice chancellor uh, from Vet University, Professor Patrick Fitzgerald, to give us a good sense of her own of I mean of his own experiences. Uh, for he has been in the public space for a very long time. Before he was at Vets University as a, as a deputy vice chancellor, he was the head of school of governance at Vets, and he used to be the commissioner and a DG at some point. So he comes with a wealth of experience around some of the issues that he has picked up uh, in the public space. But anyway, I implore you to stay tuned. And in my next encounter, as Patrick Fitzgerald will be here, giving us ins and out of his own personal experience, particularly from a mitigating uh, strategy point of view. There's no point of reflecting on what could have, what should have. The point is, what are we doing uh, moving forward? Moving on swiftly, let me take this opportunity to welcome Ndate Ramate Munyokolo, who is the chairperson of Rainwater. And the essence of our conversation is about his role uh, 
as a chairperson who is overseeing a very complex uh, organization with a huge mandate to deliver water, safe water to you and I. And Dr. Munyokulo, you're welcome to Beyond Governance and thank you for coming through. Thank you. Good morning, Dr. Mbele, and uh, thank you to you and your team, and good morning to the listeners. You know what said? You are pretty much well-known figure in the public space, but there's always that one person who may not know who actually is Ramadi Munyokulo. How would you define yourself, sir? It's a difficult question, uh, Dr. Mbele. Uh, you, you didn't prepare me for this one. I have a union background. Um, I've worked in the telecom sector for 11 years, and I've participated in the policy development process up to the Telecommunications Act of 1996, uh, and I, I was one of the eminent persons that was uh, appointed by the then minister, Mr. Paolo Jordan, to oversee the policy development process and the the drafting of the Telecommunication Act of 1996. I also had an opportunity to work for government for almost two years, and I've also been involved in business uh, since 1999. That's where I've been, and I've also managed uh, as a volunteer the National South African National Civic Organization for a period of about five years, and I've then also been serving on boards of in the public service in the private sector and in the the non-government organizations' uh, sectors. So that's basically what I am, and I'm also a family man. Absolutely. Thank you very much for giving us uh, insight of exactly who is Ramati Munyokolo. So one of the biggest issues that is confronting uh, service delivery uh, in, in any public institution, it finding expression in a broader constitutional framework of the country. Take us through rainwater, water, water rainwater's existence in a broader constitutional framework of the country and how this relates to the shareholder compact because we know everything that it does is somehow, um, it's, it's embodied in the shareholder compact. Rainwater is actually even older than our constitution. It's even older than the, the respective departments. Rainwater was established 120 years ago, exactly this month, in terms of the Rainwater Act. And of course, when the new dispensation came through in 1994, there was issues of transformation and realignment of departments and so on. And Rainwater then falls under the Water Services Act 108 of 1997. To that extent, we therefore report to the Department of Water and Sanitation, who is then our shareholder. The sole mandate of Rainwater, like any other water boards, is to provide uh, water services to our municipalities. And this mandate gives effect to the constitutional right enshrined, to the constitutional right that refers to water being a right to South Africans. We therefore a bulk service water provider to what you refer to in terms of the Act Water Services Authorities who are mainly municipalities. And like any other organ of state, we are required to sign a shareholder compact. In other instances, referred to an annual performance plan, but we sign a, a, that a shareholder compact with, compact with the executive authority. In this instance, the Ministry of the Department of Water and Sanitation. We account to that executive authority, which is the Minister of Water and Sanitation. Thank you very much for that a bit of a background, which is quite useful in locating 
um, our conversation moving forward. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back in a second as we continue with um, the chairperson of Rainwater, Mr. Ramateu Munyokolo. We'll be back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point, it is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. This is Beyond Governance. Uh, Nimrod Mbele here. I am joined by the chairperson of Rainwater, Ndade Ramadeu Munyokolo, who is uh, a chairperson in that particular utility. Before we took that particular break, he gave us a overarching view or almost like historical perspective of Rainwater, which apparently is it's celebrating its 120th anniversary uh, in, in this particular month. Chair, if we proceed, one of the biggest issues that you pretty much touch on and a best for the purpose of the listeners it worthy of probing a little bit more it is that of a you know the bulk water supply uh, we know there are a number of utilities that are involved in that particular space almost every other municipality have a some kind of a, a water supply uh, entity Jobek has it um, uh, well Houting in the main has it uh, then they have them and so on and so forth Give us the jurisdiction of, of your entity in relation to other entities and municipalities and Gauteng in particular. About eight water boards in South Africa and we are one of them. We supply water to 18 municipalities uh, which are based, we provide water to the whole of Gauteng, part of Northwest up to Rustenberg, the northern part of the Free State, which is Mesima Holu and Eritara related areas. And that's basically, and also part of Mpomalanga in terms of the ministerial directive of 2014, we're also responsible to provide water to Mpumalanga, but we're not providing water to the whole of Mpumalanga, but to part of Mpumalanga. In particular, I think it's the, the high field of Mpumalanga. It is certainly yeah. a, a big ask. Am I, am I correct? I mean, 18 municipalities and some of the provinces, such as Free State and Malaga. Yes, we, of course, are the biggest water utility, not only in South Africa, but in Africa. We, prov- we produce 5 million litres of water a day, and our source of water is derived from the integrated Val River system, mainly supplied by water from Lesotho through the Lesotho Highlands Water Project. Uh, that is the intergovernmental, or rather the, the relationship that we have with the Lesotho government, is a government to government. And as part of our growth strategy, we'll be adding another 600 million litres of water into the system. The first 150 million litres of that 600 litres will be added by the end of June or early July this year, 2023, the remaining 450 million litres will be added by the end of this year, 2023, and end of in early 2024. So that, that's basically, you know, we do as granddaughter. Of course, there are other directives that we get from the minister uh, from time to time that we also have to attend to. But that's our area of service so far. 
There are two pertinent points that you've raised. One is that you obviously support municipalities and provinces such as Free State and Pumalanga, and you are indeed the biggest water utility in the continent. And the other issue that you've raised is that of your growth strategy, which I think it's quite important that we just probe a little more. Take us through the essence of your growth strategy in terms of aiding those millions of water. Uh, does it mean there are water projects that that are being currently constructed or about to be constructed, where are those? Because we do know, and I mean, as I'm listening to you talk, I appreciate the fact that there are some measures that are taking place to try and circumvent water shortage because in South Africa as a country, it's a water scarce uh, country. And it is important that we navigate towards an environment where there's water security. So part of your growth strategy, I would imagine, is to try and address water scarcity as well. We are at all material times constructing. Uh, That construction may be as a result of refurbishment or maintenance of old infrastructure. For instance, just a week ago, we were tying a line that supplies away to and surrounding areas, which line was uh, leaking at some point. So as part of our maintenance, so we have a maintenance plan. For instance, I think on Friday, we'll be tying another line that feeds our Mapleton system in the, in the east side, eastern side of, of the, of Houghton, which supplies Mfulene, part of Tswani and part of Malanga. So we have already issued a notice that they will be tying that line. So that's what continues to happen. So we're not just increasing our capacity. We also just in January, just in February this year, we launched 220, a reservoir that uh, carries 220 million, million liters that can be carried for over 24 hours. And the first of its kind actually in the world. It is the biggest. There's two in the world. The one is 210 hours to 220. So the biggest in the world was launched in South Africa by Rainwater in February. So we continuously, the plans that we have emanate from a strategic plans that were developed in and around 2009-2010 as part of our growth strategy. The major part of our work is done at our, our water treatment plant in Sekarbos, uh, which gets the feeds from, uh, from the Val River. That's mainly where we supply water from and distribute it throughout the pro- the provinces, which is the biggest one. It supplies about plus minus 80% of our water. We have another smaller one, which is in Frenachen, that supplies the remaining percentage of water in the main. It supplies the southern part of Houghton up to northwest. So the, the bulk of the work, you may not see our work because we lay, we have about over 3,500 kilometers of pipeline that is underground. And our reservoirs are not necessarily visible because they are hidden for security reasons, uh, because they are a national key point uh, site. So that's the kind of work that we do, and uh, we don't stop doing that work. Our, our, current, our budget for the next five years is about 42 billion rent for infrastructure growth and also maintenance of infrastructure. Quite a sizable budget indeed and a very complex um, web of infrastructure that you are responsible for in those provinces that you have alluded to. But perhaps maybe deep on some of the issues that you've raised. One is that obviously water generation or transmission, the infrastructure likely depend on 
electricity supply and constant electricity supply because without constant electricity supply you are very much unlikely to be as effective as you are in in discharging your mandate and i am sure you have been affected in the same way that um, ascom has been affected what what material implication has that been in your organization and you correctly say we, we we are largely dependent on the national grid to provide water because we have bought uh, some generators, mobile and, and static generators, but that do not cannot pump or cannot contribute massively to our infrastructure uh, production levels. We are, as a granddaughter, exempted from load shedding. And theoretically, very little to no power interruption should be experienced. However, due to unstable grid power outrages, I experience on a frequent basis, and this leads to massive water supply interruptions uh, in, in our systems uh, due to this intermittent water supply. For instance, in April 2023, we lost power in our Mapleson system that feeds Impul, Ekorleni, Tswani, and Bumalang. And um, we lost that power for 27 hours. We don't just switch on, then the lights go on. It takes us more time to reboot the system. But in this instance, it took us about two weeks to recover from that power failure. In realizing this, the board has prioritized deployment of an alternative power source so that we reduce dependency on the national grid. And we are therefore one of the things we are pursuing amongst many is the hydropower system. Uh, that we are pursuing. So that is has been in the pipeline for some time, but we are now saying as a board that is part of our priorities so that we limit the interruption of water supply. I couldn't agree with you more because we have seen it in so many municipalities and so many areas and the rural areas being the most affected parts of the country wherein water supply has been obviously severely impacted. But ultimately, because one of the issues that you raised that there are other water utilities. Um, at what point the organizers take accountability in areas that are, uh, say, in Akurulani, um, you know, Tswane, you know, Hamaskran and so on and so forth. At what point accountability lies with you or you simply distribute water to those municipalities who then distribute it to households? As a bulk service provider, water provider, we provide water in terms of the law. We provide water to municipalities and municipalities then provide water to the tap level, which is up to the households. Our responsibility as water is up to the point where we supply these municipalities with water up to that point. However, because we regard this as a system uh, where we are required to assist, we assist municipalities at times to walk the line with them to determine where the challenges are. In terms of responsibility, they take full responsibility to provide water to the end user and not us as rainwater. One of the issues that you raise of the 42 billion rands budget that you have, to what extent this budget has been hamstrung by non-payment of services to the same municipalities that you assist? Rainwater, like any other uh, water utilities, we are affected by uh, non-payment, which non-payment is appreciated that is also impacted upon by the global and the macroeconomic challenges of this country. We are owed 5.2 billion 
by municipalities in order to recoup that we we follow our credit management policies as part of our debt recovery and if that fails we we engage in terms of the government directives we engage with the respective ministers uh, with treasury and so on and so forth however if that process fails we then opt for a legal uh, recovery process which may lead to the attachment of accounts of municipalities or what is referred to in legal terms a writ of execution so that's that what we offer. We also appreciate that one of the causes of non-payment by municipalities, either than issues of lack of operational efficiencies in municipalities, is also the great greatest challenge of municipalities. It's also non-revenue water, which is basically water that is lost in the reticulation system or municipal infrastructure. And in some municipalities, this can go up to 70% of water being lost. So when we invoice, we invoice the full amount of the water that's provided to the municipality. But if 70% of that water uh, is lost, and then it's clearly that uh, the chances of that municipality paying us more most a figment of our imagination. To that extent, recognizing this challenge, what the board has decided on recently is to an extent that we want to partner with municipalities. What we then envisage is to establish uh, what we refer to as a special purpose vehicle, that partnership with municipalities, and that vehicle will then focus on uh, water and sanitation. It will focus on other related matters, including refurbishment, expansion, you know, updating the indigent register of municipalities and many other interventions. And our view is that such SPVs that will be establishing with municipalities should then be ring-fenced. What I mean by ring-fencing this instance is that the money is collected should be used to for reinvestment in the infrastructure. Of course, we'll engage municipalities as to how do they benefit from those special purpose vehicles which should be co-owned by rainwater and the respective municipalities or their uh, water services organizations, like Johannesburg Court as an example. So that's the direction that we are taking, and we are taking this direction because we realize that challenge of municipalities and is endemic. So there's no way in our lifetime that municipalities will be will recover and be able to pay us because they have financial challenges in terms of you know investing in water and sanitation infrastructure. So our approach therefore is to follow a water utility model, which is a global model that are followed. And if you go to Europe, you go to the Americas, they follow the the water utility model where you don't only provide water, you provide water, sanitation and related services. In order to assist municipalities, that's basically the approach that we are taking. Useful insight indeed, which I think the listeners are definitely benefiting from this kind of uh, conversation. Um, we're going to have to take another quick break uh, because we also need to pay our debts. Uh, we'll be back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making.
Welcome back. This is uh, Beyond Governance, and I'm joined by esteemed uh, chairperson at the Rainwater, other than Ramadi Munyokul, who is really giving us critical insight around the operations of a very complex and complicated water utility, uh, which is apparently the largest in the continent. Before we took that break, he gave us an insight around some of the grinding challenges that his organization is experiencing, particularly from a debt point of view. He indicated that they've been owed um, close to one two billion rands uh, by municipalities, and and it's very difficult to get that money back purely because they have to go through a range of engagement with government ministers. Uh, they have to engage legal processes to try and retrieve monies from those municipalities. But in the main, what what stood out for me as he was explaining the kind of challenge that they go through is that when they issue an invoice uh, to municipalities, they issue 100%, and, and whereas there's so much water that would have been lost. He said there's about 70% water loss, and which, which municipalities have to pay 100%. And... In his words, it's a figment of, of his imagination or anybody's imagination for that matter to expect municipalities to pay 100% when there are a host of issues around non-payment. And then, of course, now he painted a picture of non-payment in, a, in a context of the broader macro economic situation as it were with unemployment that is sitting at around 40%. Uh, so these are some of the practical issues that he has raised. But there's also very interesting insights around how uh, Renewater is partnering with municipalities by creating what you refer to as special people's vehicles that could be used to try and remedy some of these issues. To try and, and of course, once those SPV has been established, they would obviously get to a point where the resources have been reinvested in the to, to to try and manage all the water-related challenges in those respective places. Coming back to the SPV that you have mentioned to us, how many have them created? What informed this particular model going forward? We haven't established any, but we are in discussions uh, with one of our fourth biggest customer and our highest municipality that owes us our highest data, which is uh, Mfuleni. So we are in discussions with Mfuleni. We have interacted with the executive mayor and the team. And from our side, we are ready to engage. We have our team on the ground currently doing an assessment uh, on the infrastructure of Mfuleni so that when at the point of signing the necessary agreements, we have a sense of the kind of work that we are facing. So the Mfuleni municipality needs to then take a decision from their side to partner with us through the entity called Meiji Alikwa. That's the approach that we are taking. We, fortunately, we are already doing work in Mfulin, either than providing bulk water to them. We have been issued uh, with the Section 63 directives where we, we are assisting them to revitalize a sanitation system that has collapsed and the some level of progress that we are registering in that respect. To that extent, it's probably even much easier for us to find each other with Mfuleni, given that uh, we are already providing water and sanitation in that area. So there are negotiations are ongoing. We have also interacted with the relevant member of the executive in Gauteng, MEC Kumalo, and uh, he's also bought into that concept. He's quite excited about it. And the Department of Water and Sanitation is also supportive of the approach that we are taking, and we're moving ahead with that approach.
Interesting, interesting indeed. And this is obviously a very, very complex arrangement that you want to enter because there seem to be a, a number of um, actor groups or stakeholders involved within the provinces, as it were. What they obviously the, the MEC responsible for, for for this kind of environment. We've got uh, we've got Enfuleni as a team. We've got a number of players, and I would imagine the success of SPVs that you made reference to. There are obviously, one could assume there are a number of critical success conditions for them to materialize. For the listener, what would you say are those critical success conditions? That would ensure that the SPVs that you're making mention of as a model, because this would be the first one as a model, and that is likely to be replicated because these models are obviously meant to give a sense of how rainwater can partner with other utilities, or we can export this model elsewhere based on how successful it has been. Obviously, it has not been successful because it's, it's conversations are currently underway. But what would you say to us? Our critical success condition that would ensure the success of this special purpose vehicle at Mfuleni to Mitsalekwa. We're not naive to the fact that uh, all municipalities um, you know, use revenue for collected on water and electricity for other critical operational requirements and, and, and projects within municipalities. The most important thing for us, the conditions precedent for the success of this model will be the ring fencing of the revenue. So total ring fencing of the revenue and we then enter into some agreement with the municipality on the extent to which we can contribute to to their revenue. But as long as the, the water-related uh, revenue is ring-fenced, because the ring-fencing will also assist us uh, in reinvesting uh, into, into the infrastructure. The challenge now is that because of other pressing priorities of municipalities, which are highly appreciated. There's no, there's limited investment or reinvestment in the water and sanitation infrastructure. So that's for me is very critical. The ring fencing of the revenue from the municipalities. And that will enable the joint venture on its own or the SPV to go and raise money in the market and become you know, bankable. Without that, it will be difficult for any funder, any credit provider to come through uh, to the fore because the intention is to use that SPV to raise money in the market so that you are able to deploy the necessary resources to turn around the situation of water and sanitation infrastructure uh, in the municipalities. Also, of course, also pursuing the possibility of including electricity so that it then becomes a fully-fleshed utility in municipalities and ring-fenced from other municipal operational revenue matters. Absolutely. I suppose the the model of ring-fencing does provide some level of cushion because we know typically in government, when you've got an entity, there are a lot of vested interest uh, that, that comes in. 
if you reinvent resources and that can't be spent on anything other than infrastructure that's related to water supply, that potentially has a, a way of ensuring that SPV that you're referring to uh, becomes successful. And I think it is quite important that you've shared, I mean, you've shared with us the extent to which you are quite practical in recognizing the socioeconomic challenges faced by municipalities. We know that the bulk money within municipalities spend on salaries. At some point between 80 and 90% of uh, funds are being spent on salaries, including funds that are earmarked for uh, infrastructure. So how would you ensure that, because there's been precedent before, when you look at the infrastructure grants monies, you know, in some municipalities um, have been diverted towards um, salaries in the main and infrastructure has just lied down and completely been neglected purely because there's no money. I think the, the interaction and the negotiations will be all infrastructure-related grants either from the Department of Water and Sanitation, from National Treasury, and from many other uh, organs of state. Those grants should then be directed to um, the, the SPV. Of course, that may require some regulatory changes so that we then are able to to create an enabling environment for these grants to be sent directly to the SPV, which SPV will be a, a private company and be managed as a private company, of course, uh, 100% owned by uh, state organs. Absolutely. Quite useful uh, mitigating strategies that you are sharing with us. We're going to take um, yet another break and we'll come back just in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. You have just joined us. I am in conversation with uh, Mr. Ramateo Munyukolo, who is the chairperson of Rainwater. And before we enter that break, very interesting insights. Uh, I've certainly felt like I'm, I'm knowledgeable about water-related issues and some of the challenges uh, his organization is experiencing in, in a quest to uh, fulfill the uh, constitutional mandate in, in, in supporting bulk water to municipalities in the main. Before we went to that break, he was really giving us a sense of the nitty-gritties around the SPV model that they are envisaging. Uh, in the main, the question I posed to him, I put to him was, how would he mitigate, what would he consider as critical success condition for this kind of SVPs to materialize? Uh, one of them, obviously, was that of ring fencing of, of the money so that the monies that, that have been, the resources that have been put together does not, are not being diverted, are being spent purely on, on uh, infrastructure related requirements. 
and the response that he provided around the precedent which has been created by other municipalities where in you know, infrastructure grant has been spent and, and he seems to have given us a very good insight in terms of how they would mitigate that particular challenge because this is not new. We all know that. You know, in some instances, municipalities you know, simply put money towards salaries and infrastructure, rehabilitation, um, and, and suffers. So I suppose this, this particular SBP model that they are envisaging is likely to learn quite a bit from how other municipalities were struggling in, in the very same particular, uh, you know, uh, arrangement that they are trying to uh, put forward. And as we gravitate towards the end of our show, what would you say, uh, what would you say, you know, uh, would be the, your legacy? What is that like to be remembered by when you have left um, this very complex environment where you're dealing with uh, competing priorities? Uh, the pressure, I'm sure, is quite uh, enormous. But obviously, you've got you know broad shoulders. You you can take that. The legacy that uh, the board wants to leave is that uh, by the time we live in four years, uh, it's now less than four years because we only appointed in in September, towards the end of September 2022. By the time we leave, we should have uh, an alternative power source that reduces dependency on the national grid. The second one is that uh, we, our water is mainly derived from, at around 100% of our water is derived from the Lesotho Highlands Water Project. It's basically from, come from a foreign country. Uh, we want to reduce that dependency uh, on the Lesotho Highlands water, you know, sub- being supplied to us. We therefore are looking for alternative water source. And we, you know, the team is currently doing uh, research around what areas can we extract that water from and what kind of water we can use and so on and so forth. So that's the legacy we want to leave. The other one is that uh, we, we, this organization is 120 years old this year. And what we want to leave is to leave an organization that, that has, that continues to be financially sustainable. Uh, we don't want to leave the organization uh, uh, one rand less than you know what it was when you came in. We want to leave this organization financially sustainable uh, and improved uh, with net profit improved. We also, you know, what you want, Rendwater established an entity in and around uh, 2010 as part of its strategy. That entity is called Rainwater Services. The entity was, if I may use a technical way that is used in some sectors, it was mouthboard. The board has recently decided that uh, in order for us to pursue this uh, water utility or the utility model, which will include water sanitation, uh, waste collection, waste and uh, electricity, the model will be better served under rainwater services. So by the time we leave, we want this entity to have a pipeline of projects. Unfortunately for us is that from time to time, the minister issues a Section 63 directive directives to different water ports and in our view you know rainwater services will then start pursuing uh, section 63 directives issued by the minister to rainwater through you know through rainwater services there are other you know water utilities that are 
that require our assistance, who also have been issued with Section 63 uh, directives by the Ministry, and we are engaging them to assist them in that respect. And there are other municipalities uh, that are approaching Rendota to assist them. So the we want the, our legacy is to also have assisted municipalities to create an, an environment where they are able to provide much-needed services to their communities in the form of water and probably even electricity and sanitation. So that, that's the legacy we, we, we want to leave as Rondota. Municipalities are a very critical component of our, our value chain in terms of our own sustainability. Our sustainability is actually dependent on the sustainability of municipalities. We can therefore have a relationship with them wherein we are the big brother and we close the taps, I mean the valves, and instead of helping them with the challenges that they face, in particular in our areas of expertise. So we want to leave some of the municipalities that will engage us and even water powers that engage us, you know, with the infrastructure intact and, um, you know, with increased service of water and sanitation and related services that the communities of the citizens of South Africa require from time to time. So that's a legacy that we want to leave. Other than that, we also want to leave the legacy on issues of governance, on issues of continuous business improvement uh, of rainwater. And of course, we want to also establish a, a water utility forum and also a forum that also will include a number of other players in the sector, including civil society, government, and so on, in the water and sanitation. Uh, so that's that's what we want to to leave as a legacy, as a part of Rendwater. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Unyokolo, for very interesting um, conversation, which I certainly have benefited the listener out there. We are quite confident that uh, Drenda Water Board um, has a requisite skills and competencies and under your leadership, the legacies that you have just articulated will come through. If I could quickly recap some of the issues that you brought to attention from a legacy point of view is that you want to uh, leave the entity having secured alternative source of power. You want to reduce, um, obviously, power from the grid. You want to reduce dependency uh, of water from Lesotho. And you want to ensure the 120-year-old um, um, organization is financially sustainable. And you have, an, um, you have also established an entity called Rainwater Services, which would enable all the Section 63 directive issued by the minister being supported. You also acknowledge that the municipalities are, the survival of the municipalities are intertwined with the survival of rainwater. In instances where rainwater is able to dispense with technical skills and competencies to ensure that municipalities are actually on the right path, you certainly do that for uh, the value chain is quite critical. Um, you've also brought to attention the need of proper governance. We would honor here also of shenanigans as we're picking up uh, from other entities um, around malgovernments. And we also brought to attention uh, how the the utility wants to improve uh, business uh, and by establishing dialogues through water utility forums uh, with all in Sunday so that uh, at least uh, all the stakeholders are well 
where you are and the kind of business model that you're putting forward are, are shaping. Am I correct to sum up your views in that particular way? Definitely, yeah, correct. Uh, but we just want to say that the reestablishment of uh, rainwater services uh, will focus not only on Section 63 directives, but we're also inviting municipalities out there who need services, who need assistance with their water infrastructure, their water and sanitation infrastructure to give us a call. We are ready to engage and do business with them in partnership with them. Thank you very much. One after liberty and Nyakula. Thank you for coming. I certainly have benefited a lot and so are the listeners. Thank you so much, Dr. Mbele. I appreciate the fact that you invited Rendota. We are humbled by your invitation and engagement. Thank you so much. Absolutely. There you are. That was the chairperson of Rainwater, Ndate Ramate Munyokolo, who has really given us food for thought in terms of where he is um, as the chairperson of the board and under his stewardship, uh, all of issues um, that are bedeviling the sustainability uh, of the entity would be addressed. Um, we won't have to leave it here. You know, absolutely incredible insight from him. Should there be a need to, for us to pursue yet another conversation, I'm sure he'll be more willing to come back to us for the water issues that are quite critical. Let's do this again next week. Shalom. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed, and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making.